Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by principal analyst Maxie Schmidt to discuss why a persuasive ROI model is critical for success with customer experience. Welcome, Maxie. Thank you. So we've talked a lot about the state of CX, that it's plateauing. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of factors that are getting in the way of progress, but maybe we can dive into um, this issue of executive buy-in or this potential issue of executive buy-in. So what are you hearing from clients on this particular topic? So what we hear from clients and also what we have in our survey work that we do with clients Mm -hmm. is that there are still about half of the people in our survey among customer experience professionals say that their executives say customer experience is important, but don't act according to it at all. Mm -hmm. So they don't support these efforts actively. And uh, might I say that we often talk about executive support, but let's also remember that these executives have 10,000 other priorities. So it's also not something we can rely on solely, but it's the starting point you really need to get right. What is in the way there? Because to your point, executives, they have a lot of priorities, but the, the onus is also on the CX professional and how they're presenting the case for customer experience transformation and efforts. So right. um, can we dig into that a little bit? Absolutely. I always say if the CEO doesn't get CX, it's because you don't get your CEO. So there's this element of being able to make a business case that's measurable, sure, but also a business case that's meaningful. So a business case that somehow has something to do with the fiduciary responsibility of the executives, but also that has to do with their passions as people. So for example, um, one business case um, I know was made really successfully because the person in the CX team could prove that the competitor was investing in it. You know, sometimes it can be that easy, but it's not always that easy. But the first step is to understand the priorities of the CEO and the whole C-suite even a level down from that, and then be able to say, what is the meaningful business case anchor that we can use? And how does, I mean, to me, that feels like necessarily you need to have a relationship, whether that's the CEO or by proxy and and another executive or a level down. What is the guidance there or how do we get to an understanding of what those personal goals are or something that's going to really motivate an executive to sign off on this business case. Right. So not every person in a customer experience role has a regular FaceTime with the CEO, yeah. for example, right? If you have, even better, then you just need to talk to the person. And if you don't, there are so many ways that they express their priorities. So, for example, when you think about uh, town halls, when you think about what they tell the street, uh, if, mm-hmm. if it's a, a publicly owned company, when you think about the strategic priorities that are in in, 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 in kind of documentation or think about the PNL, like um, the, the, there's also a section on strategic priorities and opportunities and issues. So there's a lot of ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And one of the most, I think, short ways to do that would be to say, do you know somebody in the CFO's team so that you can go there and say, hey, what are the types of things that, I, that you discuss are the meaningful metrics Of course, that goes more to the really hardcore metrics. That doesn't really go about the personality of the CEO. But for that, typically people have a good sense. Yep. I have to imagine once you're in the CFO world, you are likely having a higher win rate if this is something that pays off immediately versus long term. But I would imagine that there are a whole bunch of CX initiatives like retention that don't pay off immediately. How are clients navigating through that? 
Yeah, so there's always the the thing where you say, hey, we're going to change the, the design of this website and immediately we'll have fewer calls. Like that's something that's really easily acceptable. Everybody likes this. When it comes to these longer term things, for example, we're going to put a big voice of customer program in place and we think through that we're finding the issues that our customers have. And if we repair those issues, then we'll have higher retention, right? That's a much, much more long term game, as you just mentioned, Carrie. Now, when it comes to that, actually working with the CFO is an asset because they can help understand what are the types of assumptions that people in the company will accept. So something um, as simple as uh, thinking about, okay, we're putting this program in place, how much will this cost? But also what are our projected sales for the next two, three years and how will they potentially be affected if we do this project? So that's something where the CFO team can actually help you get more clarity and get to assumptions that everybody will agree with in the end. Yeah, and that are believable and rational, right? right? Not just something that's like, okay, you don't have exposure to probably a lot of that data as a CX professional, so pulling on resources that do. Is there any commonality in the type of companies that do have executive support, not just in terms of what they do, but just structurally, public, private, different sectors? You mentioned the 50% number. Anything common there that's worth pointing out? Have you noticed? Companies that are growing like crazy mm. often have a harder time with customer experience because it's just hard to say, oh, so we're growing 20% every year. Well, maybe it might be 22%, right? There's not a sense of urgency. So often companies who don't do super well think that customer experience could be the thing to change oh, ship. Interesting. So that's something I've observed where, where, where I've talked to clients who say, oh, we just have such a hard time and our retention rate is already at 98%. We really can't make a case conclusively for customer experience, right? But when you're in a company who's just trying to save costs, a lot of costs, and I mentioned earlier, that's one of those business cases that it's more immediate, so it's more relatable. Then, of course, you can tie customer experience to these cost savings, and it seems like a great win, great quick win. Right? Oh, that's interesting. I, you actually think the, think the opposite. Someone's not doing well, a company's not doing well, they're hard to invest in something like CX. Or probably if you're at stagnant growth, it might be the worst case scenario. It does feel counterintuitive, right, that you would invest in something that potentially could be seen as having less tangible benefit. But I guess if you're saying, if you're pointing to the low-hanging fruit or cost-saving, something that's immediate, then yeah, check that box. But maybe the more longer-term initiatives, retention and the like, are are more difficult to push through. Right. I think the situation might be very different and, mm. and it's probably no one-size-fits-all. Sure. But what what is important is that as you're thinking about what should be that business case anchor, that meaningful metric, you should really be thinking where your company or even the industry is in that in that life cycle, right? If it's if it's just in the growth phase, right? Your new company growing like crazy, then it's about getting new customers to try the product and getting new employees interested. That's a very different situation than when you're kind of in this maturity stagnation where like every competitor is out there, you've made it really hard for customers to do business with you, where it's really about profitability and share of wallet that matter. Like, so um, everybody like that's listening today, they, they, they might have to figure this out for, the, for, for, for themselves, but there's definitely something around where in your life cycle you are, the metrics that typically people in the C-suite care about. Yeah. I think one of the things that we've talked about with Harley and others is the legacy of CX professionals, maybe coming from like a UX background or different background. And so that this is not necessarily building a business case or having an ROI model is not natural or core to their skill set. 
Are you continuing to see that? I think we still have the market researchers that are now CXers, mm. definitely, right? And uh, we still have marketing people that are CXers that might be not as as much embedded in the business. Yep. But the the successful customer experience people that I've spoken to, they have the business acumen. And I mean, it's it's also not that you need... You don't need a degree in business necessarily, but even just saying, hey, I'm going to look at our PL and I'm going to look at some town halls and understanding what's important for our business, that requires more than business acumen, that requires empathy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because often what I notice is when customer experience people talk about customer experience, is as if they hold this big banner up. Customer experience is so important, so important, so important. But then they don't and and then and then they tell everybody else that they have to be empathetic with the customer. <laughs> but they themselves never do that step where they're actually empathetic with the people internally to understand what they're trying to achieve. So I think more than business acumen, Mm. (laughs) it's the ability to put themselves in the shoes of their internal stakeholders. And I mean this for the C-suite, but also for that level down, that mid-level that you could arguably also say is really hard to convince because they're actually the ones with a a very um, strict goals that they get from their top management. And then they're the ones saying, you know what? I'd love to do this customer experience thing, but you know, I got also I got a PL to run. Right. Like that's a typical thing. But if you actually understand how customer experience affects the PL, then you have an in. One of the things Forrester's seen and forecast is that, you know, more CX teams will move within marketing and increasingly be part of the CMO's world. Um, one, do you agree? And then two, that feels a little risky to me as we're talking about who has sort of influence and buy-in. Let's just be clear. Mm-hmm. In some firms, it's not as though the CMOs are so radically influential in gaining budget for customer-facing initiatives either. Right. So, I mean, right now, what is it? Is that 30% or so of CX people that report into a marketing function? So, there's actually quite a lot of other mm-hmm. places where CX people report. And that's not necessarily, in, in our service, at least changed a lot over the years. But what I think what you're right in is that um, the the ability of a CMO to be the steward or to be the, the shepherd for customer experience depends a lot, not only on their influence, but also on their skills. Like sometimes you see these cases where a person who used to be responsible for direct marketing gets appointed to be the CX person in the company. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's probably going to go wrong, right? Because that person doesn't know what customer experience is. And marketing seems kind of related to it, but it's it's something else. So I think the skill set is something that uh, that needs polishing up. And I know that we have some research for our for marketing research, which talks about some of these customer experience-related skills. So I can see that there's already penetration, like from Forrester Research at least, talking to marketing people around what they need to learn if they want to own customer experience. Let's get into the details of what should be in a business case and what will actually be counterproductive to the case. So what I've seen over the time in my research is that business cases that are about specific things, initiatives, journeys are more successful. So the business case needs to have a focus. While it's really cool to know something like every point in net promoter satisfaction is worth X dollars in revenue or whatever, that is typically not where to start. Like if, if somebody comes to you and says, do this, then the process starts by saying, okay, what do our customers um, not like about their experiences? What would we have to improve? What would be the initiatives? What kind of outcomes do we hope to achieve for that? What are the things that we have to invest to do that? And then you can create a business case, right? Ideally, even at, at a journey level, just imagine how much easier it is if you say, okay, we're going to try to improve our onboarding journey, right? We're going to make sure that more people get through the process more um, fluidly so that they don't have to call us because they're unsure whether they're actually already a member of this insurance, for example, right? 
that is a very clear business case. You can create very clear outcomes. You can measure it also very quickly because it's a near-term outcome. And then you can say, okay, for the onboarding journey, we have to invest X, we got out Y, and this is our ROI. For the next journey, same thing. For the next journey, same thing. And then you can add that up over time and build that bigger business case. But you don't start with this kind of um, airy, high-level thing. And then somebody says, yeah, so but our uh, overall revenue as a company has gone up uh, while net promoter score has gone down. What's going on? And at this high level, there's so much noise in the data that it's really, really, really hard to draw any good conclusions. So I recommend to start at that granular level. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that goes back to the point that you were making earlier about being measurable and meaningful, right? Like, I don't know that an executive is going to care. I mean, I, obviously, it would be a good thing if your NPS went up a point. But what does that mean in real terms? Right. And here's a point where I think a person in customer experience might also have to set expectations because an executive will love this story. They've, that's what they want to hear. And of course, you could, you, could, you could do it. You could just say, you know what? I focus on our main customer segment and I did the following. I looked at what do customers spend with us that are super happy? What do customers spend with us that are super unhappy? If I change the ratio from happy to unhappy, my overall metric would go up. My spend would go up. So you could do that and mm-hmm. then you can extrapolate it. So often you need to do that in order to get some initial, ooh, this is so exciting. Right. But as you're really thinking about provable business cases where you also want to say, I can I can show you in three months, six months, that is actually true, then you need to talk about that granular level. Mm-hmm. So you might have to push back against only focusing on that high level, sexy business case and do some work on the ground granular business cases too. So before we even get to the actual business case, you're going to need to spend time and resources building that. So how do you get that permission or how do you create that space for yourself to to actually take the time, get the information and what information would be helpful in, in building that business case? Right. Yeah. So even for what I just said earlier, that kind of high level um, story about happier customers spend so much more than unhappy customers and what's the point of whatever worth. Sometimes what helps is if you have some evidence from outside your company that it makes sense. And that could be case studies. So we have uh, written about a few case studies where we could see what are the benefits of moving customer experience. Or also you could go to stuff like Forrester's standards research. What is a point in customer experience index worth? You know, we measure this customer experience index, our annual benchmark, and we've built models for 15 industries that tell you what is it worth to improve customer experience by one point? What's the business growth impact? Either revenue or for health insurance, this is member growth, and for investments, this is as under management. So these kinds of outside sources could provide that first glimmer of excitement so that you can then at least spend a few days to try to see what is this like in my company. Mm-hmm. And those numbers are pretty astonishingly interesting, right? right? Um, not that you can rattle them all off the top of your head, but a point in CX improvement in some industries is upwards of 20, 30, 40 million dollars, right? So for um, uh, for the uh, for the car industry, for example, mm-hmm. it's really astonishing. Um, it's over a billion dollars uh, in upside when you're investing in uh, improving customer experience by a point. So That's a yes. good starting point. So it's a, it's a wide range, but there is definitely a lot of upside in there, and so that could provide, as I said, the glimmer of excitement that would then let you do some more calculations for your own firm. Because let's keep it keep in mind that these outside numbers are really cool. And interesting, but you'll have to at some point make the business case for your own company. Right. Their averages, you know, it's not it's not specific to your firm. But what is interesting is there's also information about where you should focus or where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck for the, the effort. So 
to understand what are those sort of smaller pieces that you could be focusing on if you're in automotive versus insurance versus banking, right? Yeah, I think you're, you're bringing up a really, really important point. Remember I said earlier that the business case needs to have a focus and that's what you get. So when you have a measurement system in place where you have a top level metric and then underneath you have drivers, like for example, I mentioned the customer experience index earlier, right? And then you have the drivers underneath that that drive the customer experience index. And then you can see what is the performance on those drivers and the ones where you have poor performance are the things to focus on for your case. What are the initiatives that you want to, for example, you might have poor performance on customers not feeling like you resolve their issues quickly. Ah, okay, that's the initiative I should be focusing on. So I probably need to train call center people. I need to put different scripts in place. I might have to tra change my communication and, and, and a number of other things. And now suddenly you are getting to a really, really specific business case where I think everybody who listens will not think, ooh, this is like totally overwhelming. But yeah, I think I could actually make a case based on that because it's so specific. So it's really important to have that measurement um, in place where you have not only the top level metric, but also the drivers underneath so you can find out what the things are to focus on. Sometimes when you hear that you need to build a business case, it's very overwhelming if you're not a super Excel math wonk. What are you talking about when you're saying business case in this case? How big does it need to be? How many assumptions do you need to have? Or is this, and I'm hoping that what you're going to say is that it's slightly simpler than I think with the, the beast that it's become in people's minds. Right. And the funny thing is, so business cases, they typically, they, they, they might seem really overwhelming. And then they start simple-ish, and then you realize the complexity that you should be building in. Oh, so it should be a three-year thing. Oh, and then it's, it's also across different countries. And suddenly this totally blows out of proportion. So it's really important as you're doing this business case to pull yourself back. Are you really simplifying this enough? Or are you just being German about it and building in all kinds of, <laughs> I can say that, uh, building in all kinds of eventualities and, and scenarios? And when it comes to these assumptions, right, you, you really need to need to figure out what the assumptions are that people will accept. So one of the rules, for example, is that as you're thinking about conservative assumptions, you know what, if we assume that if we change, for example, our sales training, every salesperson will sell just one more thing in the week, just one more thing. Like that didn't seem like something that people internally said, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. So that's something, an example of a conservative assumption that helps the people like, oh yeah, that, that sounds reasonable. Other than that, what, what is the really hard part in, in a business case is, I think, to understand how everything works together. Like, how do you build that actual Excel model? And not necessarily in Excel, but this idea that when you're, you have this retention rate, okay, then you need to kind of figure out how it will go up the business case. But then also, do you maybe need to accommodate for ranges? Will it go up more than you think or less than you think? So, um What's really useful is if you're, as you're building an actual business case in Excel, if you leave yourself a bit of room for saying, hey, here's my best case scenario, here's my worst case scenario. And either you plug the numbers right in or you just make assumptions on, you know, the best case scenario is 10% better than the real scenario and the worst case scenario is 10% less than that. That's some of the tricks that make it a bit easier to handle that business model. I like that idea of best and worst case scenario. And I think people need to have the courage when they do that model, especially in the worst case scenario, to say maybe this isn't the right project. And I think that's where business cases often go awry is that people play with the numbers in order to make sure it looks like a good ROI because they believe so passionately in the project. Um, but the numbers might not bear it out. Yes. Sometimes I get the feeling that a business case, right, once you start with a business case, you basically are 
you already make the it's already make the assumption that it will go through. Or it's not the assumption, but it's already a foregone conclusion that it will go through. Because you play with the numbers, right? And if it doesn't go through, it's probably because you're not doing making a business case that appeals to executives, right? But if it appeals to executives, then there's so much room. If you've played around with business models yourself, you can see that you can quickly go from an ROI of 390% down to an ROI of 250% by making really, really small assumption changes. And getting to something about the worst case, middle case, best case scenario helps you set expectations somewhat where this is really going to end. But I agree, Carrie, with your point is that um, I, I don't think there are many business cases where the plug actually gets pulled all that much because people are already so gung-ho on the project. The business case is a formality, right? Well, maybe then the business case should come first before you get all in on the details of the project. I think that's the tough part. So, for example, until you have not defined what the project will be, you don't know the costs I think that's one of the other things that a priori, before you even get started, it's very hard to estimate how much time and effort it takes. So what we at Forrester do, for example, is we do a low effort, low impact model and the high effort, high impact model. So, for example, you're going to assume that you need to train your salespeople, right? But then instead of saying, Ooh, oh, how should I do this? Let me do some costing for that. Just to say, you know what, let's assume we do every sales training via WebEx. That means everybody spends an hour. Versus we do sales training in person where we have flight costs and this and this and that, right? So now you already have like a low and a high um, effort scenario and you can play with that and you can think about what is more likely. There's a paralysis component here of building a business case where like, have I documented all the assumptions? Have I been complete enough? And is that going to be the hurdle or the thing that's going to get in the way of this getting approved? So how do you know at what point that this is sort of like a satisfactory business case and you don't want it to just get like shut out at the executive table. Is it shopping it around to maybe some of your peers or some of these P&L owners to make sure this feels right so you're not doing it in a silo or in a bubble? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if you don't have a meaningful business case, no matter how much effort you put into it, it will not survive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the thing that I really, really want to encourage everybody to think about is that Somebody will find a reason to shoot it down if they don't want to believe in that business case. And if they want to believe in the business case, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, maybe the assumptions are a little conservative that you use. I think we can probably pull those up numbers up a little bit. It's probably better impact. Like if they want to believe in it, it's already 80% won. If they do not want to believe in it, you're already 80% lost. So you need to work on the wanting to believe it first and then think about the rest. And of course, then the hygiene factors like documenting your assumptions, having run assumptions by the CFO, like all of these things, shopping it around, definitely play a role, but wanting to believe the business case will be the gating factor. Mm -hmm. So Maxi, what are the one to two things that CX professionals should take away from the conversation we just had? Right. So I think it's really important at the beginning that you don't go too deep into making this mega big case until you've not done two things. First, figure out what are the top five, six, seven financial or um, um, personal <laughs> metrics that the C-suite cares about. And second, do a quick like test whether customer experience really affects them. So it would be so sad if you think, oh, retention is so important, and you find out that customer experience doesn't affect retention much because we're in an industry with switching barriers, whatever it is, right? So when I mentioned earlier that that what you can do is that you look at those five, six financial metrics. Like it might be share of wallet, market share, yada, yada. You first look whether you have data on that and then you try to do that comparison I mentioned. 
do customers that tell us that they're happier with the experience really show behavior that's different from those who tell us they're unhappy with the experience? Do they spend more? Do they call less? Do they get less discounts? Do they have a higher share of all of whatever it is? And you can try to do that relatively quickly by just, just pick 100 customers of each type, for example, and see if there's actually a difference. And if you find out that there isn't really a difference, for example, in share of wallet or retention, then move on to these other financial metrics because there probably isn't the good enough business case in there. Got it. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Join Maxi and more than 50 other Forrester analysts at CX North America, which runs June 16th through 18th in New York City. The time is now to win, retain, and serve customers better. Register at 4.com slash CX NA. Don't wait as early bird pricing ends March 31st. Once again, that's forr.com slash CX NA. Thanks for listening.